Nothing on the TV antics, road trips finishing. Boredom on the celebrity, cause when a beast just not the part then. So grab a beer and have a bath with some tunes inside my head. Relax and try and have a laugh with the boys from in the shed. Everybody. Nick! Hello Steve! How you doing? I'm alright! Welcome to another edition of Science Vinyl. What, what album have we got this time around? Well this week we decided to look at the Mercury Music Prize winner for last year. We did. So we've got Wolf Alice. Wolf Alice. Yeah, a band who um, have been around since about, I don't know, the late late noughties, 2010. Yeah, um, this is their, I don't know, they've released two or three albums, so... Um, this is their latest album, which came out in 2017, was nominated for the Mercury Music, Music Prize and won it um, uh, in September. So uh, it's a pretty uh, topical album. So I was fairly new to the band. So I've Me only... too. It was enjoyable to go through and listen to it. Normally I listen. I make a bit of a ritual of listening to the Mercury Music Prize nominees. But I haven't had time this year. No. Um, but it was good to kind of go through it. Some people, a friend of mine, he buys all of them. Really? Every year just buys all the albums. All of the nominees. Exactly. Oh, I yeah. can understand that. But some of them are a bit naff, aren't they? I mean, I mean, what's, what do you think is the naffest winner of the Mercury Music Prize? Uh, the the Darkness. Do you th- did they win? Yeah. No, they didn't. Mission to Land won 2004 or something. Good God. Yeah. I was thinking of M People. Oh, no. M People, terrible. Well, oh, I mean, is it, worse, is it worse than um, uh, Wolf Alice? I'm not so sure, Nick. I think you're wrong about The Darkness. I've just look had it a up. quick look. look it no, up. they haven't won it. Yes, they have. No, they haven't. Yes, they have. I'm looking through the winners now. What year? It's Tell like 2008, 2006, something like that. Seldom seen kick, 2008. Okay, hold on, let me look it up. I'm looking it up. Well, maybe they won after this list was made, but I don't see any evidence that they've won the Mercury Music Prize. This is very boring for our listeners, Steve, as well. Oh, just take my word for it. It was shortlisted. I apologise. Yeah. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Steve has a trouble trouble admitting he's wrong. <laughs> I was wrong, Nick. I was wrong. <laughs> I I was wrong. <laughs> anyway, yeah, M people are my probably my least favourite of the winners. Um, Gomez were a band who I loved in the late nineties who won the Mercury Music Prize. But it's got a rich history of lots of bands who've subsequently gone on to greater things. Primal Scream perhaps being one of the most successful. And then you've got bands like Pulp, you've got Badly Drawn Boy. Uh, Dizzy Rascal. Dizzy Rascal. Yeah, so it's, it's, a li- it's a little bit sort of white male uh, bias, but occasionally you get sort of other left field bands like Ronnie Size and um, who was that? Oh, Porcento dude um, who won Thingy it? Thingy won it as well. Um, Let England Shake won it, didn't he? Uh, she. I can't uh, remember. What's her name? Oh, God, oh, I hate that. This is terrible podcast. It is, yes. Yeah, it's really, is. really bad. Um, who, so, did, who did Let England Shake? I don't bloody know. Oh, you do. I am a bird now. by Anthony Johnson's. That's the one. Anyway, let's move on. So this year, um, PJ Harvey. That's okay, her. Yeah, she's great. So this year it was um, Visions of a Life. We should say the name of the album. This Visions year, Visions of a Life. So they're a band. They're kind of like. I mean, I listen to them a bit, and I'm kind of less into music than I used to be when I used to live in London. I used to do lots of gigs and things, but it's kind of like it's been described as noise rock. It's, or p- it's folk pretty, grunge. It's pretty angry in some points. Yeah, it's metally. Yeah, it's got I a like reading Kerrang. Kerrang liked it. But it's yeah. got sort of a wide appeal because it's got sort of, a, you know, different kinds of tones of melody, different um, colours that it evokes. Yeah. So it's a good it's a good melodic album. So anyway, so there's a bunch of tracks. So what we're going to do for you listeners is we're going to go through the, um, the track listing and we've got a load of interesting sciencey nuggets. Nick, what was so the other thing we do on Science Final is think about what was happening at the time, the, the zeitgeist, what was going on. So it's fine when you go back and look at like a Beatles album or something, but this was only last year. But I still think we should set the scene. Yeah, so I mean, what was year, happening in 2017? It's not, very, not very long ago, really, is it? So no, um, but people forget these things. Can you hear something in the background? Yeah, it's my Have dog. You got a chimpanzee living in the house. All <laughs> looking at it. That's my French bulldog. Don't yeah. be so mean about her. Uh, sorry, Some, she looks a bit like a piglet. It looks like a piglet. Yeah, that's definitely true. <laughs> um, yeah, so 2017, it was an auspicious year. Do you know how it started? 
In January, probably. Organ- in- inauguration of Donald Trump, oh, the of new course. American president, had of his course. famous phantom riot. First known interstellar object was detected in the solar system. First known interstellar this? object. Yeah, it was called Oumuamua. I can't say it's a Hawaiian name, basically. Wait, so it's, so it's a bit of rock floating between... Flying through the solar system. So initially they thought it was a comet or an yeah. asteroid, but it was going so fast that it, it had to have been coming... It wasn't within any gravitational pull of any okay, of the sun. So that, okay, so is that how we define it? So if, if, yeah. so if something's going round, it's, it's in some orbit, it's a comet. Yeah. And if it's just, go, if it's just passing through... It's like, oh, guys, yeah, see you, got, bye. So it, it, most of them have designations, so they've got sort of a code for them. Sure, but, they're, but, they're, but it's not about the composition of what they are. It's about their orbit. It's so the, just someone going through going, free man. I think so, yeah. Although there may be other classifications that I'm not aware of, but it's called 1I. So right. it's the first interstellar, I for interstellar. And yeah. It's the first one ever discovered. That was 2017. It, it was traveling at 315,800 kilometers per hour. That's about 90 kilometers per second. Pretty fast, too fast to be within the um, the orbit. Sorry, to be under the gravitational influence. Because if it was, it would have escaped to the pull. Is that why? Or yeah, I mean, it's fairly very simple. If it's moving that fast, then it's not going to be in in any kind of orbit, and the trajectory would also suggest that it's passing. So the Earth fast. doesn't move at anything faster than ninety kilometers a second relative to the Sun. It, it, the speed of the Earth is defined by how far it is from the Sun. So any yeah. object in Earth's orbit would move at the same rate because it doesn't depend on mass, does it? No, sure, but but I mean, at the 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 sun is moving relative to the center of the Milky Way. Yeah, so this is relative to the sun. Ah, okay, get it. Yeah, so you have to have some reference point. Yeah, yeah. there are other reference points. There's, there's like a Milky Way. There's like a local <coughs> reference point as well. So they also track that. It's coming somewhere from Vega, right? But Vega wasn't there when it was there, so they think Ooh. it comes from billions of years ago. Anyway, that was found first ever interstellar object, 2017. Oh, right. All right, and also Visions of a Life was, was uh, released. Exactly, and I think the first track, Heavenward, kind of it's quite it's kind of saves well from that. Heavenward, Steve. We've got Heavenward. Do you think near-death experience has ever been studied scientifically? I don't know how you would do that. You have <laughs> well, to, like, drop an anvil this. in someone's head listen or something. Listen to this. There was right. a study, and it's uh, titled AWARE. Yeah. A-W-A-R-E. Um, I'm trying to find what that's an acronym for, but I'll come back later on. There's a study actually set up at the University of Southampton initially, right. and before the main dude, Sampani, who moved to the States... And what they did was, he's an emergency doctor, and he thought, well, this is worth investigating a bit further. Mm. So what they did was, over a period of about six years, they installed shelves in emergency rooms, places where people are likely to be resuscitated. So they put shelves, yeah. Do you know why they might put shelves there? The stuff that might fall on their head. Well, what what do you what do you what what stories do you commonly hear when people have out of body or near death experiences? They say they're looking down at themselves. They float up to the ceiling. Yeah. So what they did was they put some shelves up and put some pictures and objects on the shelves that were not visible from the bed. So what they were looking on top of the shelf. On so top it's, of the shelves. It's, it's, it's Ghostbusters. <laughs> <laughs> it was one of those things, a little squiggly line in a circle. Well, kind of. Oh come yeah. on, they should have done that. So basically, what they did that what they did was they. Okay, wait, wait, wait. wait. Let, let me go so I understand it. So, so you're lying down on a bed facing up, and you can see the bottom of a shelf when you do that. But they're placing images on the top of the self. So the only way that you could see them would be to have an out body experience, look down on your asleep body, and also the top side of the shelf. That's absolutely right. Okay, I get it. So they did it They did it at five hospitals in the late noughties. Yeah. Um, How did you get funding for this? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know who funded it. Right. But it's obviously interested because... It hasn't never been... Well, it used to sound naff, doesn't it? <laughs> anyway, so they did this study, and um, 46 people during that time reported stories about NDEs. So he, he, this, this guy's N- quite... NDE, near-death near experience. experience. Okay. Incidentally... Is, is that different to an out-of-body experience, or are they, are they synonyms? Uh, I don't think they're synonymous, because you can have a near-death experience without feeling like you're outside your body. Oh, okay, right. Yeah. 
I think. Yeah, I mean, it makes can, sense. Like you can near be death going is... towards a light or something okay. without floating the your body. Um, I mean, he's got an interesting idea about death anyway. So death is not a specific moment, he says. It's a process. During a cardiac arrest, all three criteria of death are present. Um, basically, he thinks that cardiac arrest, um, when you, you, um, you don't recover, is yeah. death. Um, but cardiac arrest when you do recover is also kind of a form of death. Okay, so you're saying that the process is dead for a long time when your heart stops. Yeah, basically. And basically, there's not enough brain activity. Usually, you don't see brain activity during cardiac arrest when there's no blood flow to the brain. Right. So, um, so some people thinking. suggest, well, how can you how can you have images and all this complex stuff going on? Okay. I'll come back to that in a second. Anyway. So yeah, they recruit. They they got a bunch of people and a couple of people. Well, forty odd people reported having near death experiences. So here's an example. So he says, before I was answering it, he said, I can remember vividly an automated voice saying, shock the patient, shock the patient. And with that, up in the corner of the room was a woman beckoning me. I can remember thinking to myself, I can't do it. She beckoned me. I felt she knew me. I felt that I could trust her. And I felt like she was there for a reason. I didn't know what the reason was. The next second I was up there, looking down at me. The nurse, another man who had a bald head. I couldn't see his face, but his back of his body was quite chunky fella. Blue scrubs on, had a blue hat. He didn't have any hair. Had where the hat was. Anyway, then he came round basically. So, so hang on a sec. They're not. They just. They're, they're putting these experiments just in a, an A and E and waiting for people to have heart attacks and then interviewing them afterwards and saying, "Do you want to be part of the study?" Yeah. Okay. And they just do it over a long period of time. <coughs> okay. And so incidentally, yeah. there's a bunch of shelves up. Yeah. Anyway, um, there was a key limitation. Although a thousand shelves have been set up in key areas in the participating hospitals, as many as seventy-eight percent of the cardiac arrests recorded happened in rooms that were not so equipped. <laughs> They're the control so that experiments. Dude, They're that the control dude who experiments. had his, yeah, that dude who didn't—he was in a room that didn't have any shelves. Okay. <clears throat> Whether he would have remembered seeing the shelf, it'd have to be something interesting or important. I mean, like something unusual. That's true. If it was just a load like of a like giant equipment dildo. on there. <laughs> <laughs> Something incongruous. Yeah, exactly. That would be slightly What's out of place. That? A frog. Small, a small child in a cage. <laughs> Something that would stick in your mind. Chainsaw. Yeah, exactly. exactly. That's exactly what I would do. And they probably had these sorts of discussions. All right. Anyway, the bottom line is they, didn't, the they, they, couldn't, they couldn't really address it. I mean, a lot of people had these sort of strange experiences. And there's another guy, actually, I came across while researching this, who's actually a neurosurgeon. Um, he's called Dr. Eben Alexander III. <laughs> he sounds American. Yeah, so he, he co-authored a book called Proof of Heaven. He's, he's supposed to be a neurologist right. who became convinced in the afterlife through having a near-death experience. He had meningococcal E. coli septicemia in his brain. Right, brain So he infection. had meningitis, basically. Yeah, and um, basically he had a near-death experience when he came around, and it was quite an unusual situation. Very rare that someone who had that condition should recover right. and get all their function back. So he saw the light, basically. Yeah. I just quite found it quite funny. He's recounting what he encountered. Go on then, go on then. I want to hear. So these memories began in a primitive, coarse, unresponsive realm. Brackets, the earthworm's eye view, or EEV. So he's already got an initialization for it, from which I was rescued by a slowly spinning, clear white light associated with a musical remedy that served up as a portal up into rich and ultra-real realms. Mm. The Gateway Valley, capital letters, was filmed with many Earth-like and spiritual features, vibrant and dynamic plant life with flowers and buds blossoming richly and no signs of death or decay. Waterfalls into sparkling crystal pools, thousands of beings dancing below with great joy and festivity, all fueled by swooping golden orbs in the sky above. Above. Sounds Angelic like choirs, a... emanating chants and anthems that thundered through my awareness, and a lovely girl on a butterfly wing, who proved months later to be central to my understanding of the reality of the experience. Wow. Well, that's a load of bollocks, isn't it? <laughs> a load of bollocks, isn't it? <laughs> it sounds like a, a pitch of like a Ridley Scott Avatar sequel, doesn't it? That's what, like... Disprove it's... it, Steve. Well, anyway, so Sachs, Oliver Sachs had something to say about this. Oh, we like He's Oliver a Sachs. Oliver the man, Sachs, the man who stick his wife for a hat. He, he basically says, well, actually, during when you're, you, when you're unconscious or you're in a coma, you are in a coma for a long period of time, so you're, yeah. you're not going to be... But when you wake up, your brain starts to regain activity. Right. And that can be many seconds. 
and you can easily imagine stuff in the time that you're coming sure, out. Dreams. And I mean, dreams about, would be an argument, well, I, right? Exactly. And right. I always have the most vivid dreams if I wake up and then I go back to sleep. Like, like on a Saturday, yeah. I've had a few drinks on the Friday night. Yeah. I wake up, I'm hungry, yeah. feeling a bit ropey. Go downstairs, have a Bacon. slap at brekkie. We thought, I'll go back to bed and, you know what, just for comfort, I'll read The Two Towers, Lord of the Rings. You know, <laughs> Guaranteed to have yeah, an elf just, dream. It, that sort saying. of thing. Yeah. Okay. And then you drop off and you fall asleep. And I always have these mental dreams just, you know, in the morning. Anyway, the bottom line is we still don't know whether near-death experiences exist, but it's interesting that people have been trying to put up shelves to find <laughs> out, isn't it, Steve? Yuck foo. Did you listen to this one? Uh, yeah, yeah, I like it. I like this the is, album, This is actually. a bit shouty, this one. It is a bit shouty. I was reading about this song. So I'm not going to talk about science here. I'm going to talk about the song. So she was interviewed about like how she came up with this song, right? And it's quite um, wanky, so I want to list. I want to read it to you. Right? So she goes, I was on tour. And I've been on tour for about a thousand years at that point. I was in Columbus, Ohio or somewhere. I wrote it really quickly and, it, and uh, didn't refine it. It was just an outpour of emotion. I was in my dressing room. We were on the radio show. There was lots of bands in surrounding rooms and I didn't want anyone else to hear me. Um, so I just started shouting like a mouse into the microphone. The foals were in the dressing room next door. And I was thinking, I wonder if they can hear me screaming, I want to fuck all the people I meet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I must have had so much raid inside me and it just came out. Um, rage rage why would rage make you want to fuck everyone you she's meet? just really angry the whole song's really angry oh god right? i want to meet her when, especially she said, when she's really then she angry go, then she goes on go normally i cross out the line i want to fuck all the people i meet i would have kept that to myself but the performance and lyrics uh, are how abrasive they are and that's the point i wasn't swearing because i think it's cool or because i think i have anything to say i was doing it because that's what you do when you're angry you curse and scream people are going to be like what do you mean you want to fuck all your friends but but it's like don't Say to, you don't say to a director of a movie, it's awkward you wrote a film about murdering prostitutes. It's just made up. Track three. Whoa, this one's... This one's called Beautiful. I like this tune. It's a nice tune. It, and it's called Beautifully, Beautifully Unconventional. Unconventional. Yeah. Do you know why people find other people attractive, Steve? Symmetry? Yes, exactly. <laughs> also, familiar, familiarity. Right. The things that kind of appear familiar to yourself are you find more attractive. People Is that have why done you st- fancy like Wolves fans? <laughs> <laughs> You've obviously never been to a game. <laughs> Is, that why, <laughs> Is that why you fancy Rush fans? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I do. Probably if I got talking to them, I would start to feel aroused. If they started to discuss, you know, the middle so, section of Bytor and the Snow Dog. like, oh, my God. Oh, connecting with this person. Be like that. Be really exciting. But, yeah, familiarity. Yeah. So they did. So, and also, this, this sort of digs down into the diff, some of the differences between male and female brains. So at least the behavior that adults exhibit yeah. in the brain. For instance, it's well known women are much better at remembering and recognising faces than men. It's been shown time and time again. It's an right. established sort of um, thesis. So it's so one of those things in psychology that actually you can reproduce. It is, yeah. It's yeah. Re- been reproduced many times. There's a lot of different studies. But the, 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 I, found a, I found this uh, paper where people had also um, tried to find out whether certain faces men were better at recognizing okay so when you think about what a man might so it's either going to be like an engine or like a beautiful woman isn't it you're close yeah yeah yeah. so what do you think these are on the right so i'm showing steve now a picture and it's a figure from the paper and there is a series of heads images of of faces like like barbie dolls or dolls yes we've got we've got normal people at the top yeah women and men nine it's a three by three grid um at the top Men and women. And then we've got Barbie dolls for C. Yeah. That's what they chose for the women. Discriminator. Yeah. Do you know what these I are? I can't see that. What is that? Come closer. Can you, can you see it? Can you see it? What are they, Steve? 
They're Transformers! They're Transformers! <laughs> and Autobots! So they got Robots trans- in so the sky. Thought, well, I maybe, would definitely be able to get all the Transformers. Maybe, maybe, well, that's what they found. They proved, <laughs> so what they did was they Starscream, showed... Starscream, Bumblebee. Sh- they showed a bunch of... Uh, Megatron, Auto... So the yeah. way this experiment works is they, they give them a, a series of photos to study. Yeah. You know, a number of photos of the Transformers. It's yeah. a bit like... You know what's that game, Kim? When you have to remember what's on the tray. Yeah, yeah. And then and then and then they give you that for it, and they wait a bit, and then they show you um, series of images comprising three different photographs. Yeah. And two are distractors, and one of them is what we've seen before. Yeah. Men were just really good at doing transformers. (laughs) That's amazing. Women were better at Barbie dolls and also the faces. But men were better at Transformers. So the the argument is because men have been exposed to Transformers. Exactly. Okay, fine. Or they've got an interest in them, some familiarity to them that's perhaps not as familiar with women. Someone a snog. How like clean do you think it is? I don't. I really think it's very unclean. Someone studied this. I thought came across this paper talking about about kissing. Right. It's called shaping the oral microbiota through intimate kissing. Right. And this is from Microbiome, which is an open access journal published a couple of years ago. Lead author is Gus Rasulas. I think he's a. um, I've been I've been with the same I've been with Maria so long that I can't really remember what it's like to kiss someone else. No, no, <laughs> <laughs> no, no. We snog every morning. We wake up. We have morning. a passionate snog. That's Good what to we hear. do. That's how. That's what married couples do, do every you know? morning. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry, I didn't. It's no peck it. on the lips when I go for work. It's a full-on <laughs> passionate, passionate snog. snog. Okay, so I'm going to read you the abstract of the paper. It's really interesting. So what they did is they had 21 couples. Yeah. And they uh, made them snog. Yeah. And then they analysed um, before and after, like yeah. all of the, they like, take a little swab and they grab all the bacteria in their mouth. So we identified probiotic uh, lactobacillus bifidobacterium markers in most KISS receivers, corresponding to an average total bacterial transfer of 80 million bacteria per intimate KISS. 10 seconds. Wow. 80 million bacteria in a 10 Whoa. second snog. That's a lot, isn't it? 80 million. Isn't it good that, like, like... the population of the UK and Ireland. Yeah. In one, in one snog. Wow. Well, bacteria are small, aren't they? They are small, but I just love the fact that science works out. Yeah. yeah. Well, there you go, eh? 80 billion in a snog. Planet Hunter. Oh, we're getting to the fifth track of the album now. This is Getting a good science title for an album. Do you want to say a couple of good science titles as I was going through this? Yeah. Planet Hunter. Have you ever but, hunted planets? No, but people do. I've had a go. Have you really? Is there yeah. like one of these citizen science things or exactly. something? Exactly. So yeah. there's something called the Zooniverse. The Zooniverse. Yeah, Galaxy Zoo it came from, right? And this is a... Oh, is it? I think oh, so. I didn't know. 
Um, it was launched by someone at Yale, basically. But there's a whole bunch of stuff where you can get involved yourself in doing science. Yeah. And basically, it's based on the fact that humans are very good at pattern recognition and stuff. Uh, actually better to some extent than computers. In some cases, We're yeah. We're better at looking at patterns. And we can do it much more... We can do it better than computers, actually. Anyway, the one that I found was one where they actually hunt for planets. So, so as far as I know about all these kind of all the planets we've discovered now, which were about about a thousand-ish now, something like that. I yeah, think. something like that, I think. Um, and but you think kind of ten years ago there was none. We didn't have none any planets outside no. of our solar system, no. and now there's about a thousand. And I think, unless you correct me, the way that they do that now is you kind of analyze the intensity of the sun or the the star that the planets are uh, moving around. And if you can imagine it, as, as the planet goes in front of the star, it has a very subtle effect on the intensity of the, of the light. And then from that, they can infer uh, the frequency and the passing of planets. Is that it's right? That's absolutely right. And there, there's basically a space observatory which is in space purely for that reason. So it's Exoplanets. designed to look at the intensity of stars you know, systematically, it's called Kepler. Because I suppose if you were doing it from the ground, if you saw a change in intensity, it could be yeah. because the, the, atmosphere, the atmosphere is changing. Yeah. So yeah. you can totally get rid of the atmosphere. So anyway, it's it's done a lot. There's a Maybe lot. it's just an excuse for physicists to go up into space. Maybe like, oh, we've totally got to do that in space, mate. No, no fucking way. You can do that on the ground. There's a lot of data anyway. Yeah. Because there's a lot of stars in the sky. I don't know whether you've looked at the sky at night. I have once or twice in my well, life. Well, yeah. now I live in Salisbury. Yeah. I hadn't realised how many bloody stars there are. <laughs> there's a there's shit loads. <laughs> so I went cycling the other night. I think that might be the, the stupidest thing we've ever said on our <laughs> podcast. <laughs> anyway, they've, 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 they've monitored the brightness of something like mm, 200,000 stars. Yeah. And they monitor it over a period of time. And then they do some post processing. And are they still are they still rare? Or is it basically everywhere we look, there's fucking hundreds of stars? And or is, sorry, hundreds of planets. Yeah. So the, in in January 2015, there were more than a thousand, a thousand and thirteen. Right. In about 440 star systems. Right. So it's relatively few star systems, but maybe some of them are undetectable. Right. Really. And there's lots of unconfirmed candidates. So okay. something in the region of three to four thousand. That must be really. If you're doing a PhD in that, to make, to say you found a planet. That's yeah. cool. But I it? can't. I mean, I tried doing it. This is the data. So th I'm showing Steve now a picture of it. It's essentially, it's like a black screen. Yeah. And if you imagine, there's lots of white dots. Yeah. And they're kind of scattered broadly. If you if you imagine the Milky Way in the sky and the sort of band of stars yeah. on the screen, you've got white spots in a band across the screen. Yeah, it looks like. And they correspond. They cor They correspond to a measurement of intensity at a particular time. Yeah, and what you're looking for are little dips in the intensity. Yeah, that happen sort of within a within a line. Surely a computer's better at that. No, I don't believe that. No, don't believe it for a second. No, no, people are better at it. No, they just they haven't got people Google to do it. Like, people are better. People are better. And they will be forever. Ever and ever. <laughs> just like chess, just like Go, all those things. Exactly. Computers never got better. Yeah, but a computer can only do Go. That's all it can do. Can't do anything. A Go computer can't play chess. It can't. No, it can't. We're not totally very well. Can. It can't beat Castro. Still beat you. Can't beat Putin. <laughs> and the thing is, if, if you get, if there are clusters of people recognising the same thing amongst all of the planet hunters, right. then they will zoom down and look in more detail, and then probably they will do a bit more analysis. I refuse to believe. Think about radio, like get, pulling signal out of radio waves, or like anything like that, or like TV signal. All of that signal processing is exquisite as yeah. changes in frequencies. Maybe. I don't know. I mean, no, I, I, mean it's I have to admit, I didn't research in detail. I just know that it exists and it is used. And there are many publications and the yeah. people who hunt the planet. Do they get their authors. name on the papers? That's, that's awesome. Imagine discovering a planet. That's just so cool. Pretty cool. What would you call it, Steve? Um, You'd Bellend. call it Steve, wouldn't you? You'd no, call it Steve. I'm not that, not that much <laughs> of, a, of a megalomaniac. No, I'd call it, um, I'd call it the science shed. Number one. Science shed, all right. Well, I don't know. If any of you do want to find um, your own planet, you can you can log on. It's called um, it's just called Planet Hunters. Planet Hunters Project. You Google that, you get a little uh, landing page, and then you can do some training. But I have to say, I got bored very rapidly because I couldn't <laughs> do it. I just couldn't understand. Is there like good people at it? Is there like kind of super users that be like well, when John says there's a planet, it's a really good yeah, chance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't the trust that, John. <laughs> Yeah, it's exactly. probably true. Don't trust that. that I mean, that's that an interesting joker. study in itself. Yeah. Anyway, that's Planet Hunters for you, Steve. How high do planes fly? 40,000 feet in the sky is how high. Is it the pressure? Because I'm out of my mind. It compressed like a oxygen. Making me high in these nighttime. Playing movies. Oh, boy.
Sky Musings. Oh, we've just been musing about Sky. We have. I've got some Sky muse. I've got some musings to, to discuss with you. Okay. What colour is the sky? Uh, it's a trick question. Nope. Well, it's blue normally. And what? then sometimes it's black. So let's examine that. Sometimes why, at night it's red. Why is it blue? So the reason, listeners, is because you have Raleigh scattering. That's correct. And the molecules in the air scatter blue light more than red. How do they scatter it? Uh, it bounces it off. It's, I think it's called elastic scattering. It is elastic, but how does it work? Do you know? Um, the electron fields of the molecules interact with the photon of light. And That's pretty close. There's yeah. a repulsion and a bounce. Yeah, so, so, so in fact, so, so you're right. Like, so Rayleigh scattering is this idea that you know uh, a photon comes in, it hits a molecule. Essentially, what happens is when light hits a molecule, it instantaneously absorbs that photon. Uh, sorry, absorbs that photon, and then it instantly re-emits it. It absorbs it into what's called a virtual state. And when it does that, it then re-emits in all directions. Like yeah. Exactly. Um, uh, and when it does that, it does that differently, scatters the light in different directions as a function of their wavelength, right? So red light is not scattered as well as blue light. No. So all the light that's bouncing off the top of the atmosphere when we look up in the sky, most of that is all being scattered away. All of the red light goes straight through yeah. and the blue light gets scattered down. But, but and it's very strongly dependent on the wavelength. It's lambda to the four really scattering. So, yeah. so, so blue light scatters like way more than red. But that would suggest the sky should be purple because purple is of a shorter wavelength than, uh, yeah, than, than blue. True. So why isn't the sky purple, Nick? Maybe our eyes are just better at seeing He's blue. good, isn't he? He's like he's a scientist. That's exactly right. So yeah. our eyes are just aren't sensitive in the purple. I don't think you've got to be a scientist to guess that, do you? I don't think if you ask most people that the sky's actually purple. Is it really? We just can't see it. Wow. And if you saw in the UV, it would be sort of even UV. Exactly. Yeah. Even UV, yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. That's interesting. Steve. Musings. Yeah. He's got you on your knees with that formidable call. Infected you like a disease with that formidable call. Oh, it's Steve, formidable call. Brought the dog downstairs, Nick. Oh, she was no. crying. So if we have to, we might hear a, 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 a dog bark or a slobber, listeners. Oh, anyway. not, we're not very professional at this, are we? Well, it's good to have a dog with you, isn't it? Yeah. Maybe. Anyway, professional call. No, what's it called? Formib- formidable, formidable call. call. Where's the coldest place in the uh, solar system? It's, uh, well, I presume it's in a laboratory. Oh. <laughs> Swing and a hit. Yeah. Do you know where the laboratory is? Is it in Sussex? No. Uh, is it in Berkeley? No. Is it in Russia? No. Uh, I don't know. You're still a long way away. Uh, is it in Australia? No, it's in space. Uh, it's on the space station. So there's a cold atom lab on the International Space Station. And they've they've formed something called Bose-Einstein condensates there. Um, and they've managed to get to a temperature of 130 nano-Kelvin. Well, that's less than 10 billion of a degree above absolute zero. If you... Maybe you do they do it via spontaneous emission? Is that sort of stimulate emission? Okay. <laughs> a nano Kelvin. So that's not. So anyway, it's apparently, a it's, easy, it's easier to do it um, in in microgravity. Micro. Um, at that at that temperature, molecules they nearly stop vibrating. They, don't, they never stop because it would disobey the Heisenberg's uncertainty principle. Ooh. But they do keep vibrating. Anyway, so it's in space. Are you right? Do you know where it, the coldest known place is in the solar system that's sort of natural? Uh, I presume in space as well. Uh, probably interstellar space. In the solar system. In the solar system. Yeah. Uh, as far away as the solar system. I don't know. As far away from the sun as you can be. Um, well, yeah, you're thinking it's on the moon. It's on the moon. I think it's got to be some object or something. Okay. Uh, it's on the moon, and on the dark side of the moon. On the crater on the North Pole, it's in the shadow. It's always right. in the shade. If you think about it, all of the other bits get hot and cold, but the poles don't. Exactly. So about 35 Kelvin. That's minus 238 degrees centigrade Celsius. There you go. Colder than known temperatures in Neptune and Pluto. But maybe that's just because we haven't measured enough. So I know one of the ways they do, typically they do those cold experiments, they take a laser of a very defined frequency. And when you when you shine a laser of one frequency onto some um, 
uh, objects, what you can do is you can you can you can encourage them to emit uh, photons faster. Is how a laser works. So that's what that stimulated emission yeah. of radiation. And so actually, it's kind of weird to think about, but by shining light on something, you can make it cold. But if, but you just have to be really careful of the colour of the light you shine on. Oh, that's cool. It's weird, isn't it? Weird, isn't it? <laughs> Formidable, cool. Sad boy. Sad boy. Sad I've never boy. come across a sad You're boy. You're a sad boy. Did you know like a sad boy is like a a kind of boy thing? Sad. No, what no, is it? No, it's like a it's like a thing. <laughs> it's like a thing. The kids would know what a sad boy was. I don't know. Oh, it's, it's like, oh, a it's like thing. A, it's the, it's like the an youths urban dictionary talk about thing. that I don't know. Yeah, it's like an urban dictionary uh. thing. And do you know what a sad boy is? No, what is it? I'm gonna tell you now. Sad boy Steve is typically a young teen guy that listens to music such as cloud rap and vaporwave. I don't know what either of those exactly. things are. Exactly. <laughs> I immediately read a definition, and I'm like, I don't understand the definition. What is cloud rap? They also enjoy wearing black and white clothes with sad faces or Japanese lettering. So they're like goths? Mm, sad faces or Japanese lettering. It's not really goth, is it? Well, Some even wear bucket hats and enjoy drinking Arizona iced tea. I still don't know who this is. No idea. Generally is, depressed. Is this a US cultural thing, I think, maybe? I don't know, but then I looked at Vaporwave. What's Vaporwave? It's an interesting micro-genre of electronic music. <laughs> Sounds right up the street, Emerged in the early 2010s. <laughs> I, could actually, I could imagine someone describing you under that. Like, oh, you know, Nick, he's, he's, an in, he's got an interest in a, a, a micro-genre of it's electronic an, music. It's a style defined by its appropriation of 80s and 90s mood music styles. Sounds fun, we should listen to it. sampling or manipulating chats via chopped and screwed technique. I did have a little listen. It wouldn't get... It doesn't, it doesn't do any mood. Yeah, there you go. Anyway, that's a sad boy. No sad science boy. there at all. <laughs> you were me gentle, but you're still there, and you're still my skies and purples and greens and things makes me happy um this is a song it's a eulogy to uh, her grandmother this song right okay um and so i was think uh, so um which which so i was looking at trying something to think of something to talk to you about um and i was thinking about green and we we're talking about stars earlier and we we're talking about sky musings and things yeah um do you know nick do you know why there's no green stars um, when you look up in the sky mm. you don't ever see a, a twinkling green star sometimes you see ones that look a bit blue and sometimes you see Ready ones that ones. look a bit red exactly yeah it does but you Good. don't see any green stars do you know why it's weird isn't it yeah that's weird so what it is is that we have three photoreceptors in our eyes right a green yeah. a red and a blue that's why if you go yeah. up and close and look at your tv there's you'll see three so little if they're pixels. all turned on you see white exactly oh, right, okay. and so the idea is, is that they're not perfectly separated so if you look at the spectrum of the light that comes out of the pixels of your tv there'll be a green one the blue one and there'll be a, a red one and they'll, they'll have a gap in the wavelength of light in oh, between yeah. them oh, yeah, yeah. but the ones in your eye aren't that well separated so when you see a bit of green light right 
there's a bit of your, your red receptor fires and your blue receptor fires. And it's the combination of those that your brain interprets as a spectrum of colors, right? But actually with, because the light's so small, it's a pin, pinprick, it's actually very difficult to not fire your red and your blue receptors as well as your green receptor. Oh, right. So when you look up at night, the reason you don't see any so green there stars, green ones. there are green ones, but, but we just, just it's very difficult them. to see them because our eyes aren't, don't have the sensitivity. So could the sun be green? Like could if it was dead close? But like if the sun was a green star, yeah, because you're saying there are green stars, yeah, but you just can't see them. Well, yeah, exactly. So if the sun was a green star, if it was at the right temperature, it, would, it could be. Would you, we you see could... the sun green, oh, or we... is it still too far away? Uh, no, we would see it then because It'd be green. You, I mean, you can see. You That'd freak if, me you, out, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Everything would be green. Yeah. It, the other thing you can do is if plants. you if you've ever been around someone with like a fireworks or something, if they've got like a red flare, right. What you can do is burn out all of the red re re receptor in your eye, you know, when you like oh, stare yeah, or something. Yeah. But if that thing's very red, then what happens is that you've got no red receptor to fire. Freaky. So you break, and then when you, then if you then, then fire another thing, then everything looks green. It's like when you take off, you get orange, sometimes you get orange sunglasses, don't you? Yeah. And when you take them off, everything looks weird. <laughs> yeah, it does for a bit. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. There you go. Some purple and green. So the zero hour for, for life yeah. may have been about four billion years ago, but we just don't know. We so, don't but, know. But there must be a common. We like we know. We got there fossils. are things which look a bit like fossils, but it's speculative. You but, remember those but marsh, what's the earliest, Mars fossils? Yeah, sure. But what's the earliest? We must have a thing that we say this is that. The, the, uh, there may be a stuff that came before this, but there must. But this is as far as we know. I think there's a fair bit of ambiguity. I think the earliest thing that people agree on is about 3.5 billion years, which are these kind of stromatolite type. Right, so it was only out by 500 million years. Uh, yeah. I was wrong. Well, no, no, that's pretty close, in, <laughs> okay. you know, because people think probably there are things from about four billion years, right? But they're just blobs. Right, so they don't. You got to things that will fossilize well. So you got to have things yeah. that are kind of, they've got to get you hard the and Mars, bony. Mars bacteria. I don't, yeah, I mean... There were little blobs. Yeah. And everyone's like, we found life on Mars. And I'm like, come found on. little blobs. <laughs> See, I thought that is nonsense. Like, it's like, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Yeah. You'd maybe have, it's just blobs. Yeah. Could yeah. just be, yeah. Anyway, so it's about that old. So it's you know, there's, a, a, there's, time, a, there's a professor called um, Lee Cronin, who's uh, very famous. He's, he works at the University of Glasgow. Oh, yeah. And that's what his research is on, is on the origin of life. So he's a chemist, and he's trying to recreate like little spheres that might be cells or little ways of communicating like how can you make the minimum amount how can you recreate the minimum amount of information to allow something to replicate you know yeah. and can you do that in a completely synthetic way just like a bottle of this and a bottle of that and shake it all together yeah and let kind of thermodynamics and kinetics do their work rather yeah. than um, and he's like so i think the people that are actively researching it they're trying to make it you know starting from scratch because that's always the argument isn't it for the kind of religious fundamentalists like how do we come from rocks you know and it's just yeah but i think it's true fair to say no one's really answered the question no, no one's been able to do it no and he hasn't and he obviously fancies himself because he's got like this Wikipedia page telling everyone how many lectures he's done all around the world. This is this is Lee Cronin. Yeah. Are you looking him up? So he, he must he must be he's, pretty he's, good. He's a pretty um uh oh my god what's my dog doing? Don't know. I think it's just I'm gonna go at your it's toolbox. Fine. It's fine. Um yeah no he's 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 very um he's a very successful scientist. He's got a massive group and he works. Um, he is chewing a wine. Okay. Is that Hold okay? On. No, it's not. Anyway, he's obviously fancied himself, but he's still not know how to do it. No, he hasn't so done it. No, no, no. But I'm saying people are actively researching it. Yeah. So that's our zero hour. Great. Three billion. Yeah.
Visions of a Life, oh, Nick. This is the final, the final, the final track. track, the titular track. This is what the album's called, so this must have some deep significance, Steve. Yeah, you bet. So I was thinking about, we were talking about visions earlier, right? Um, we were talking about uh, out-of-body experiences. Oh, experiences <clears throat> and, yeah. and I was thinking about one, well, one uh, vision that people have sometimes is ghosts. Oh, yeah. Right, so people say that they've I've seen, seen a ghost. ghost. I've seen one. Have you really? Yeah. What happened? Uh, it's a long story. Was it anecdotal and could be easily explained by something else? Um, I was tired. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Um, so, so one of the hypotheses that um, people have about people, people having visions and ghosts yeah. is that they can they might have slightly different sensitivity uh, uh, to the EM spectrum, so they can see into the infrared a little bit better. What? Okay. So there's some animals that, I mean, there's proof for this, so there's some animals that can live, um, that can see in the infrared. Is there? Yeah, do you know anyone? Um, no. I think a lot of insects see UV, don't they? Like the flowers have, some flowers that look dark are actually really bright. Yeah, that's right. Uh, birds bees. as well can see in the UV. But yeah. but um, there's a couple of animals that can. So the, the first one is just the pit viper. It's a snake that's got this like uh, little pit, uh, infrared sensitive pit. So it's like is a really rudimentary eye. Viper? I think so, yeah. Oh, um, anyway, that allows, pit. that allows them to be able to see heat more effectively. A bit like the predator. Remember yeah, the predator? Yeah. So yeah, it's just yeah. like that. Um, but there are other animals that do it. So there's certain forms of uh, fish do it. So piranha, uh, salmon, goldfish, really? they can all see in the infrared. And anyway, there's this really interesting study I found right. by the guy who's trying to understand why. So they do all these studies where they basically turn the light, they make the shine light of the different color. They train the animals, just like we yeah. were talking about before. Yeah. And then they say, when you flash a light, they come to, to get fed. Yeah. And so then what they do is they can then slowly make that light a further and further wavelength so it gets more and more into the infrared and so that they can and then they can test whether they can see it or not right because yeah. if they could if they could see the the, the flash they then go to get fed and if they if they can't see it because it's too far in the infrared they don't go and get yeah. fed. so anyway these, there's this guy um at the university of washington called uh, jc corbo who had this really nice 2015 paper where he looked at a specific enzyme called cyp27c1 or cyp27c1 yeah, I know. But anyway, what this <clears throat> what this, this enzyme the, does? This is in the snake or in the fish? This is in a fish. This oh, is right, in salmon, okay, but it's also right. they also did it in zebrafish. Good at smelling it salmon. Yeah, they smell out their rivers where they were born. Yeah, well, so when they change um, during that time, you know, they yeah, change physically. They go weird. They yeah. go weird. But also, they found they upregulate this specific enzyme. Right. And what this enzyme does is it takes vitamin A1 and turns it into vitamin A2, which is a right. precursor to retinol, which is the molecule that helps us absorb light it's and see. It's the stuff in carrots. It's the stuff carrots in carrots. Carrots you see in the dog. Yeah. And so anyway, this this was a slightly different form of it, and it's been known for a while. That there was something involved, some enzyme that was that was genetically controlling yeah. uh, whether a fish can see in, in the infrared. In fact, they find that when the salmon go through their weird metamorphosis and change how they look, and when they're going into up the streams to yeah. lay eggs, they need to negotiate those streams, which are a bit more murky and cloudy, right. than they do in the ocean. Yeah. So what they do is they up, they turn, they switch on this this the, the gene for this for this enzyme. Yeah. Turn on this CYP27C1. It makes a load of A, turns a load of uh, A1, uh, sorry, vitamin A1 into vitamin yeah, A2, yeah, yeah. and then they can they see, can see the through dark. the stuff. They That's can see through it, so then they can navigate more closely to get back to the. Sometimes see these things when you get, you know, like the fish change, yeah. and then insects change into stuff. Yeah. You know, it's a shame we can't do something like that. What would you want to change into, Nick? I don't know, like um, an eagle, a massive <laughs> eagle. Because I quite like the idea of flying, yeah. that'd be nice. And um, a horse. Oh, just to go fast? Just to run across a big plane. I'm, get, I'm with you with a bird. Imagine yeah. that. Just like, I'm Because it's good when the zombies come. You can just turn into the bird exactly. and fly away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but I mean, it's a shame humans don't really. That doesn't, I suppose it's puberty. <laughs> we change. Yeah. And you remember in Teen Wolf, exactly. Michael J. Fox, that looked unpleasant, actually. Yeah, with the exception or of. Or in American <laughs> Werewolf in London. It does look a bit uncomfortable. It seems to involve a lot of kind of like yeah. twitching and. The Hulk. <laughs> the Hulk can change. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Other than that, no. Um, another animal that can do it is a toad. Um, uh, you know those toads that like bullfrogs that live under, well, they're frogs, I suppose, bullfrogs, but they live under the water and they have like a bit of their eye poking out above the water, yeah, above yeah. It, a bit of it below. Yeah. If you take like this same paper, if you take um, a biopsy of the bit that, go, that looks below the water and the bit looks up, and you examine what you do the RNA sequencing to imagine which genes are switched on, you're looking at CYP27C1. 
exists in the bottom half of the eye, not, not in the top. top. Isn't that so, cool? Yeah, that's wicked. So it's so so the bottom half of a bullfrog is turning on all of these things. No natural sunglasses. Well, it's not even sunglasses. It's, no, 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 infrared no. goggles. Exactly. It's, it's, it's night vision. It's got they've got night vision under the water. Amazing. Yeah. Um, and so, so they, yeah, they, they prove that it's this specific enzyme. And then there's this whole bunch. Have you heard of this community of biohackers? These people that try yes. and like upgrade One their. One of them died recently. Well, I'm sure they did. Cause they're yeah. all idiots, but. Um, but anyway, they've been taking, they've been doing studies now, which are always haven't been published yet. They all seem quite anecdotal, but they are getting them funded via crowdsourcing websites yeah, yeah, yeah. and things, where they're trying to feed people this vitamin A2, and then just see can you see a little bit further in the dark. Apparently, you can see up to 750 nanometers. So it's really an infrared. You would never be able to see it with your eyes. So 750. Okay, we don't need to go into the details, yeah. but that's kind of infrared, right? So typically, you, you are, the furthest you can see is about 650. It depends upon okay. the person. So this is longer wavelength. So this is longer, yeah. And all you do that, you're not changing it. All you're doing is you're subtly changing the chemistry of the molecule that goes in your eye to be sensitive in the in the. In, so what that also means is that all the other colours would change as yeah. well, yeah. because now the red component in everything gets a, you know, gets a bit shifted. So you you start to see new colours, I suppose. Or your brain would interpret yeah, you new colours. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, that's visions of life, and that's visions of a life. Wow! And, and that is Just science. Through final. the album. Okay, that's the end of the album for this week. Thanks, Steve, for uh, for everything. No problem. Thank no problem. you for your oh, house. Oh, 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 hold on. We have to do one thing. What? We have to get Brian to come in and judge, oh, judge it. Oh, shit, yeah. I forgot about Brian. <laughs> Where is he then? All right, hang on a second. Hold on. All right. Oh, oh! come up. Hey, Brian, come back. Come up here to the how microphone. How you doing, mate? Hey, hey, how you doing? Oh, great, mate. How's, how you been? I'm all right, mate. Are you like? Are you I'm like, going to Lincoln on Tuesday. What are you doing in Lincoln? Well, the Wolves are playing. In the for Wolves. Do you always go to the away games? Yeah, everyone. What about if it's like really far away? What about if it's in London? Will you come yeah, down and complain about the prices of beer? Definitely, mate. <laughs> Don't like it. Anyway, it's good to be here. And I'm here, and I listen to that. And yeah. you've got to tell. I've got to tell you which is my favourite thing, right? I think I just like Sad Boy. You like Sad Boy. Yeah. It it, do, it does it definitely sounds something that sounds good to say in a Wolverhampton accent. Sad Boy. <laughs> exactly. Anyway, I'm, I'm fucking off again there. Bye. All right. Well, there we go. Uh, we're gonna. Well, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Science Final. Bye. <laughs>